0: The way I look at it, I feel like I haven't worked a day in my life. You know, I mean, I, I look at it as when your vocation and your avocation are the same thing, how lucky can you be? You know, and, and I mean, I do put in hours, but it's enjoyable. I like, you know, doing the research. I like trying to find out as much as I can about you know different players and different things and watching tape and doing all all that part of it, the football part of it. I like being around football people. You know, it's like. It's it, it's great, I and mean, there's there's you know there's no other no no better way to, to, to live your life as far as I'm concerned.
1: Welcome to What's Next with Eric Wood. Our next guest is Dave Lapham. And Dave is a former offensive lineman for the Cincinnati Bengals and played every position along the offensive line during the decade that he played for them. He has been the color analyst on the Bengals radio broadcast for over 30 years. We're going to have some fun on this one, learning from a guy that I spent most of my life listening to while growing up in Cincinnati, and he always entertains with his quick wit and his upbeat personality. If you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe Subscribe to the podcast wherever you tune in weekly and also if you haven't already please go to Amazon order my new book Tackle What's Next and the link to that is in the show notes thanks and enjoy Dave welcome to the podcast brother. Thank you appreciate those kind words
0: I don't think I've ever had a better introduction in my life. <laughs> well I
1: appreciate that I'll have to start following you around for your your speaking gigs around <laughs> Cincinnati a couple, couple offensive linemen uh, uh, mucking it up up there but Let's uh we're going to get to this this Bengals Bills matchup which is maybe the the highlight of the entire regular season but we want to talk about your playing career it it wouldn't do this podcast justice if we didn't dig in a little on your story so let's start with your playing career i mentioned in the introduction that you played every position along the offensive line and you know as well as me that everyone just assumes an offensive lineman can shuffle from one position to the next and that's not always the case but how were you able to adapt to so many different positions throughout your career
0: yeah it's real interesting eric um my rookie year of course i'm a i'm an old blood my rookie year was 1974 and paul brown was my first head coach and paul brown said to me uh you know i think you have an aptitude and acumen for football young man i'm gonna um test you a little bit on that i said yes sir i'm I'm game i'm ready for anything so he said okay well uh, we got tested on our assignments, you know, written test uh, on a weekly basis. And he said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a grade for your position, which was at the time was right guard. I'm going to give you a grade on, on your assignment uh, uh, corrections or whatever, the validity of how well you know your assignments up in the upper left-hand corner and the entire offensive line in the upper right-hand corner. Because I want you to know if you're pulling, is the center reaching, tackle blocking down, fullback filling, what's going on? I want you to know the big picture. Don't just tunnel vision on one position. I want you to understand football. And I'm like, that's great. I appreciate that. So uh, that that kind of opened my eyes to it. And then a little bit into my rookie year, he said, okay, here's what we're doing now. I'm going to give you a grade on the offensive line on the left-hand upper, upper corner and the entire offense in the upper right-hand corner. I want you to start to f- realize what's going on uh, as best you can all around you. And I'm like, okay. And that was a lot tougher, obviously. But he opened my eyes to all that. And that kind of led me to being able to mentally handle, you know, playing every position in the offensive line. You know, Jim McNally, great offensive line coach we had here in Cincinnati. In 1980, he had me in two different games play all five offensive line spots in the same game. Two wow. Games. It was crazy. I just went up and down the line of scrimmage, taking a series at each spot, and, you know, guy would get a blow for a series, and up and down the line I went, you know, just uh, catching, uh, catching reps everywhere. And I, I can – Great respect for the center position, because I had a nose guard that I played against at one time named Curly Culp, and that guy was a beast, so I know what it's like trying to handle a, a guy, Freddie Smurlis, a former Buffalo Bill, those kind of guys as a center, and then pass protecting at the left tackle position can be a challenge, because those are usually where the good pass rushes are, the blind side of uh, you know right-handed quarterbacks around the league, so it was it was very interesting, it was a challenge. And uh, you know, I really enjoyed that challenge, no doubt.
1: That's super interesting to me that he had you. He was quizzing you on the entire offense. Little did you know how much that would serve you in your next career. They never transitioned you back to quarterback, so you never truly needed to know what the wide receivers were doing. But hopping into the the broadcast booth, that is so valuable that you understood all the ins and outs of football. Because this may come as a surprise to some of the listeners, but. Most offensive linemen don't really know what they're what anybody else really is doing on the offensive line, for that matter. But anywhere outside of the offensive line, especially, and it can be hard to transition to the broadcast booth. That's why you see a lot of quarterbacks that do really well in the broadcast booth because they understand the total picture. Well, right. a lot of offensive linemen don't, but there's their staying power and being in the booth for over thirty years. And I would say, and correct me if I'm wrong, that that served you so well in your next career.
0: Absolutely, and I and I really do think that um, he was maybe teasing me a little bit. if I wanted to get into coaching, you know, uh, a big picture and not just understand, you know, not just if you're going to coach, you have to know the entire offensive line of schematic, why you're going to, um, you know, if you're going to gap block, if you're going to inside, outside zone, what you're going to do, how you're going to do it, why, what the personnel you have, what's the best fit and all the things that go along with the coaching aspect of it. And I think he wanted to whet my appetite a little bit in that area if I had an interest. And honestly, I did. And I still regret a little bit um, that I didn't try the coaching part of it. She so can go from player to coach to broadcaster, but it's tougher to go player broadcaster to coach, you know. And um and I still to this day think, ah man, I wish I had tried it because I just really relate to guys like you. And I mean, working with linemen would be would have been great and just see how far you might have been able to take the, you know, the coaching aspect of it. But um the the thing that kind of soured me on it was the wandering nomad type thing where you might be here there and everywhere and i had a couple of kids and they really liked cincinnati i didn't want to hopscotch them all over the country and um both of them stayed in cincinnati they live here still my grandkids are here so from a family standpoint i know i made a good decision
1: yeah, absolutely.
0: And you can never get that time back with your
1: kids. I'm the exact same way, Dave. If if I didn't have an NFL career, I probably would have gone from college to coaching. But after playing for nine years in the NFL and not necessarily needing to go get that coaching paycheck, the hours just seem so daunting. And me wanting to be a, a present dad and husband, the broadcast gig, makes it a lot easier easier to do that. Now there's so many times where, and and people ask me when I first transitioned to the broadcast booth, like, how do you like this end of it? What do you miss? And I said, I miss being in the locker room after the games win or lose. Like I miss that emotion. Like, yes, I want the bills to win and I'm friends with everybody and I cover the team. So obviously I really want them to win, but, but I'm also, I don't want an invitation to the locker room. I didn't earn the right to go be in the locker room either. And so I miss that. And there's times where you know, I, I wish I could be in coaching, but with the schedule, those coaches keep nowadays, it's, it, it would just, that wouldn't work with our current family dynamic. And that's for sure.
0: I understand it. Totally. I mean, that that's, we're, we're in the same exact bulk. We have a lot of commonalities, a lot of similarities. There's no question in terms of, you know, uh, our fortunate um, career playing, you played nine years in the NFL. I got 10 and played a couple in the USFL, Got 12 years of pro football in and, very fortunate, real lucky. No, no, uh, real major injury, a couple of minor scopes for torn cartilage, but I have no replacements at this point in time and just hit the old 70 mark. I'm thinking, man, I'm lucky because I know a lot of my guys that I played with and against are, you know, limping and gimping around with, uh, joint replacements and stuff. So that part of it was, I was real fortunate with, but Tiger Johnson, my first line coach. I remember when I first made it. You know, my goal was to make it, and then my goal was to play five years because that was vested for retirement, and then try to go, you know, to maybe double digit years. Well, as my final goal was, was ten years in the league. And uh, and when I first made it, he said, "Son, congratulations! Uh, you're gonna you're making the team. You're one of the guys we're keeping in the offensive line." He said, "My recommendation is do this as long as you can. You're never going to find another occupation like it. You're never going to find a place where uh, it, an occupation where you get compensated very, very well." And the relationships that you establish will be lifelong friends. And he said, there's nothing like playing professional football. And he was an all-pro center with the 49ers himself. Uh, uh, snapped to YA Tittle when he was a 49er before going to the Giants. So I'm looking at him and just soaking every word in saying, yes, sir. I'm going to try to do that as long as I can. And he was he was so right. There's no doubt about it. The, the relationships, I mean, man, you and you do the same thing. I mean, lifelong friends. You just – those bonds are so unique. I, I'm sure the military is maybe even at a higher level of it, but those kind of uh, scenarios where you have to, you have to, pr- pr- it's not about, I me. it's always, it's about we, us. It's, I don't want to be the one to let us down, all that kind of stuff. There's nothing like it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You're spot on there. And I've had a bunch of military guys on the podcast that say very similar things. I, I got two follow-ups there. Okay. So 70 years old and you're feeling pretty good. What's the key to still feeling good for an offensive lineman at age 70.
0: <laughs> I don't know. I think it's good gene pool. <laughs> yeah. you know, I do think a lot of it is a lot of it is genetics, but I mean, there are some mornings though where man, I'll get out of bed and it's like, you know, the wizard of Oz oil can man. I feel like the 10 man, you know, I mean, it's like, just like just locked up. Um, so, you know, there's, I know, I know there's some arthritis that I'm, I'm dealing with and that, that's uh that's more than understandable. I mean, uh guys my age have arthritis worse than me and didn't do what we did for a living so uh, i can't really complain i just i've been very very fortunate i just try not to just not t- try to do overdo anything you know i mean my uh my mother she was a very wise woman and she said look the key to successful life and successful living is moderation everything try to moderate uh everything you do you know just don't go overboard in any one thing and and it, the more you can do um, from a moderate standpoint, probably the the more you know, uh, varied and diversified your life's going to be, and the better it's going to be. I think she's right. No doubt. Yeah, there's a
1: lot of wisdom there. And then uh, Tiger, your first coach, he he tells you you made the team, but tell the story quickly about when you walked into the line room,
0: but you didn't have a a, a chair with your name on it. Yeah. So I had a I had a teammate my rookie year who uh, went to Syracuse with me. We played together at Syracuse. Uh, by the name of Stanley Walters, the SS Walters, Stanley Steamer, and he ended up being traded to the Philadelphia Eagles for John Reeves. We traded him for a quarterback, so uh, the the Eagles had a high opinion of him. And he he was a Pro Bowl lineman for the Philadelphia Eagles, and he was really a good player. So he was two years older than me. So I get there as a rookie, and he's already got a couple of years in the league. And you know, I mean, I'm just doing everything anybody tells me to do. He's just a dumb rook, you know, and. So the final cut down day, I, I you know, I wasn't sure if I was gonna make it anyway. And we had a, a, a scout named Frank Smouse, and you walk into the uh to the building for practice uh, that day, and he's he's out there with his list. And you know, I'm I'm there with my playbooks standing in front of him. <laughs> hope that, I'm wondering he better recognize me. If he doesn't recognize me, that's even worse. What if I'm cutting? He doesn't know that who I am that he should have been cutting him, you know. And and so I I stood out there for like five minutes, like right around him, and he never said. Hey, come here with the playbook or whatever. So I go in to the uh to the room and into the locker room and I change in my shorts and t shirt and go into the uh the team meeting. You know, on the offensive line, the way Paul Brown had it, the offensive line was always right up front. And so you go to the front of the front of the meeting room and all the all the players are in there, offensive, defensive players, and I go to the and I look, and on on our desk, we had just a strip of tape with your last name on it. That's how they identified where everybody was sitting, or whatever. And, and I look and there's no lap and last name. I'm like, oh, my God, I am cutting. He didn't recognize me. Then my, my worst fear is realization. <laughs> I'm like, this is embarrassing. How do I get out of this? So I start looking around and I was drafted in the third round. And another guard named um, Daryl White was drafted in the fourth round, All-American out of Nebraska. So I thought, you know, show some class, find Daryl, shake his hand. And I look around, he's not there. I'm like, I can't believe they cut both of us. Then everybody bursts out laughing, and Stan goes in the closet and pulls my desk out of the closet and says, here, dumbass, here, rookie, you made it. So, and I, I wanted to kill him, man. My heart was pumping so hard. I thought if I didn't have a heart attack, then I'll never have a heart attack. I swear.
1: Oh, I guarantee it. And, yeah, that that's better than maybe them taking full advantage of you at a big meal and costing you $10,000, but that's about as bad as it gets right there. That is, that is cruel because no. they're <laughs> – I'm with you. It's like making the team, and and for for those guys that are fringe players, that that is extremely cruel to do to somebody. That was oh, a mean joke. So you go to Syracuse and you get into you're a broadcast major. Well, I feel like everybody I work with went to Syracuse or Northwestern. So you go to Syracuse. I, I understand to play football, but when you get into broadcasting, did you know that sports media was the next step for you?
0: I really didn't. I mean, my initial, um, because of my mother, my mother graduated number one in her class and academics were a big priority. So she was like, you know, for every hour you're going to give me on a, uh, you're going to give a coach on a practice field, you have to give me at least a half an hour of academics. I'm like, well, if I have a three hour practice, I may not have an hour and a half of homework. She's like, well, you're going to read and I'm selecting what you read. It's not going to be Mad Magazine, comic books. It's going to be Herman Melville, you know, uh, John Steinbeck, Charles Dickens, whatever. So I'm like, ah, eh, nobody else has to do that. And she goes, nobody else is my son. So, you know, that's the way it is. Those are the rules. So because of her, I got really good grades in uh, high school and graduated real high in my class as well in the top five of my class and got accepted to, like Harvard and all the Ivy League schools and didn't go and really upset her because she wanted me to go to the Ivy Leagues and I wanted to play. You know, go somewhere where I could combine academics and athletics. And Syracuse at the time had a, not only the Newhouse School that you're referencing for the communications, but they had a Maxwell School of Citizenship, which was good for pre-law. And I thought I wanted to be Perry Mason. I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. So I went to Syracuse uh, with the Maxwell School and, you know, I thought that impressed my mother. You know, that's a really good school I'm going to be attending, you know, and she wasn't happy first couple of years that I called, when I called home, she'd hang up, you know, she didn't want to to talk much, but um, so I I just found I didn't like the law books like I thought I would. I was doing fine academically, but it was like, I don't know if I really want to do this the rest of my life. So I thought, well, if I am fortunate enough to play, and after my sophomore year, I ended up uh, getting a starting job. Freshman couldn't play varsity football, but my sophomore year, I ended up getting a starting job. So I thought, well, maybe it'll work out. So I was thinking what's the best combination to to um, go with the uh, football if I'm fortunate enough to play and I thought then coaching or the broadcast world so I figured maybe get some sort of a not indoctrination into that a- area from the newhouse school of Communications it was it was uh public relations uh, it was uh, the legal part of, of communications law uh, it, it was it was radio TV it was very broad uh, educational experience so i I didn't really pinpoint ah, oh, you know I'm gonna go into TV or 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 radio. I thought maybe even public relations, who knows, but I thought from a communication standpoint that that would might be a good little mix with the football aspect,
1: yeah, it definitely was. I stuck with political science with a concentration in law and public policy, and I hope to never use it my entire <laughs> life. so your your degree is so much more applicable at this stage. I wish I would have either done either a some type of communications or broadcasting finance so that you could maybe right. make your own money when you're done or exercise science. So you're maybe more capable of managing your own body throughout your career or post-career. But
0: I stuck with the political science. You know, it's funny. We're so, so alike in so many ways. I mean, we think alike too. It's crazy. I feel like you're my, you know, my brother from another mother or something. It's nuts because I mean, I, I ended up taking, uh, I, because of my uh, initial major, I minored in political science and with that was able to take some finance courses to be able to handle if you're going to make some money be able to handle it and decide what to do with it you know with a with a little bit of an educated thought process and man we're we're on the same page we're on the same page for our entire life it seemed like big e
1: yeah, well, I grew up listening to you on the radio, maybe through osmosis. It was all just kind of <laughs> pouring into me where I said, "Man, I'm going to be an offensive lineman and I'm going to follow in those footsteps." And 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 essentially I have. I mean, my career ended with a neck injury. I was hopefully I would have played for for a decade, maybe 12 years or however sure. it goes, but sure. uh God had different plans for me and and I'm loving this stage of life I'm in right now. And and I truly do love being in the booth, so I want to ask you, over 30 years of experience in the booth for the Bengals. And you've you've worked in other media outlets as well, calling games for Big 12 and Fox and all that. But in regards to just staying power in an industry and never even, to my knowledge, there's never been even... Someone saying, man, we've got to possibly upgrade from Dave. Everyone in Cincinnati loves Dave Lapham. So, for staying power within a city, an organization in the booth, what
0: advice would you have? Yeah, I mean, I I think the way I look at it, I feel like I haven't worked a day in my life. You know, I mean, I I look at it as when your vocation and your avocation are the same thing, how lucky can you be? You know, and and I mean, I do put in hours, but it's enjoyable. I like, you know, doing the research. I like trying to find out as much as I can about, you know, different players and different things and watching tape and doing all all that part of it, the football part of it. I like being around football people, you know, it's like, it's, it's great. And there's, there's, you know, there's no other, no, no better way to to live your life as far as I'm concerned. So I, I think that's part of it is, you know, um, I enjoy the grind and and there is a grind, but I don't look at it as a grind. People say, Oh man, why do you put all those hours in? I'm like, well, you know, I don't, I don't look at it. Like it's a waste of time. I mean, it's, it's, it's benefiting me. And, and I just, when I first got into it doing, like you said, college football uh, I did, you know, SEC, ACC games uh, for a network and then did uh, big 12 for another network. And, And it was always, and then I did some NFL games with NBC, did some NFL games with CBS. And I'm thinking, "Ah," and then Mike Brown said, you know, I think we're at a stage here where you're going to have to decide, um, are you going to do all of our games? We don't want to have, like, I'd be gone for four to six games during a season. He didn't like that. He said, you're either in or out. So I thought, well, that's when I decided to commit to doing the Bengals, but then maybe do college football. And that got to be crazy from a travel standpoint, trying to keep up with all that and, uh, you know, many sleepless nights, getting from a, a college game to a Bengals game on Saturday nights. And I thought, eh, you know, I'll maybe back off on that. I did it for over 20 years, though, and then just decided to get back to just doing um, the color analyst stuff with the Bengals radio network. But, yeah, I mean, it just, it was something that I, I knew that I wanted to do it and, and do it as long as I could for as well as I could do it. Um, and, you know, the other stuff was like in addition to, but I, w- I was never going to sacrifice. That was going to be my my staple, and and never sacrifice. I would I would never have considered giving it up because I just liked it too much. It, like you said, the the continuity of it. I mean, you know, at least your football season is going to entail doing NFL games for preseason, regular season, hopefully postseason, and that's not bad.
1: <laughs> right, it's not, and and. A lot of what you said makes a ton of sense to me. For two years, I did college and NFL, right. and I wanted to get double the experience, and I wanted to see what I like, TV, radio, this and that. And yep. for me, a couple of factors played in. One, when you give up that radio analyst job with a team, it, you don't necessarily just get it back. Someone steps in there, and they may be the next Dave Lapham, and then you just missed your opportunity <laughs> for 30-plus years. And the way my career ended, it was good for my soul to be around the Bills. It was great to be around football. What I missed in that year, my first year out of the league, what I missed most was being around the team, being around the game. And so then getting into broadcasting and really being with the Bills, it's just, it's honestly good for my soul. My foundation thrives up there because of my proximity with the team now. And yes, there is a grind for me. The worst part is the travel because I don't live in Buffalo, but home for us, is Louisville. My family's in Cincinnati an hour or so away. My wife's family is here. All of our a lot of our friends are here. And then sure. I get to spend 15 to 20 weeks or part of weeks or weekends in Buffalo. And it's great. But that's that can be and especially this year with the weather and everything else that's played into the Bill season, that's been a grind, but it's enjoyable and that that's why you do it. No <clears throat> doubt. I
0: mean again it's it's incredible how our our lives and our career paths and everything, man, we've been on a parallel course it's truly amazing. I know it. It
1: truly has. So I got, I got it for being someone from, from Cincinnati originally, what made Cincinnati so special to you that get drafted there in 1974 and essentially never leave besides a a brief stint uh, in New Jersey?
0: Yeah. And even when I played with the generals played for Donald Trump was the owner of that team, (laughs) New Jersey generals had Herschel Walker, Doug Flutie and, Others for teammates, uh, great center, Kent Hall. God rest his soul, died way too young, but he was a great center for the Buffalo Bills. It's, I mean, just a phenomenal. It's,
1: a, it's amazing player. how many times Kent comes up on this podcast. I've talking I bet. to and not even just former Bills, it's it's truly amazing. Sorry to cut you off.
0: No, I mean, he that guy, it, like yourself and others, that I, I mean, it's it's like not only a great football player, but what a human being, man. Just you know, just a, a prince of a guy. There's no, no two ways about it. Gosh, was that sad and lost Ken Hall. But um, so yeah, played in the, played in the USFL. Um, um, and then it, we would come back to Cincinnati in the off season. So my kids were of an age where they split the school year, half a year in New Jersey, half a year in Cincinnati, but we just did not want to, I mean, I bought a house and rented it to like movie producers. Cause right outside of New York city, I thought I could, it was crazy. I mean, that's when interest rates were like twenty percent or something. It was stupid back then. And and it was uh but I thought to give away rent with with no equity and no opportunity to, you know, make money off of the money, why just buy a place and rent it? All these producers, movie producers and everything else, they're all over the place. And I rented it to the same guy the two years that uh that in the off seasons when I wasn't there and it worked out really well and sold it for a heck of a lot more than I bought it for. So it was a good move there from a real estate standpoint, but Um, we wanted that we knew our home was Cincinnati. Our kids loved it. Initially, my wife and I are from neighboring hometowns, towns in the Boston area, like 15 miles northeast of Boston. And right away, initially she was like, I don't know about Cincinnati. Let's go back in the off season. So we went back to the Boston area and Cape Cod and everything in the off season. But then uh, I just got pregnant with child number one, child number two is coming quick. I said, look, you know, after that one season of going back and forth, I said, we have a child coming we got to establish roots. We can't be wandering nomads, you know, and we have, we have to establish now she could work for the chamber of commerce, love Cincinnati. I mean, it's just, it's, um, it's, it's, it's crazy for us. It's not a huge city, but it has everything you want. It has theater, arts, sports, restaurants. I mean, it's like, it's like a big city in a small city atmosphere and it's very diverse. Um, it's got, it's got everything really. My, uh, my brothers, I've got two brothers and a sister that's still up in the New England area. And they're like, why don't you come back here? It's like, because I really like Cincinnati. I'll come back to New England and visit. But man, and when they come out here, they, yeah, I can understand why you like it out here. This is nice. You know, it's, it used to be a well kept secret, as you know, and it's not. And what is, I mean, it's a lot of people know what Cincinnati is all about now.
1: Yeah, they're doing a great job developing it. And um, it's a great place to raise a family. I, I don't blame you for saying yep. so. Uh, I want to know this, you know, the Bengals hosting Monday Night Football this week against my Bills, uh, which is, I was doing a radio hit in Buffalo today and they called them my Bengals. I said, whoa, they haven't been my (laughs) Bengals since I've been 22 years old, you know, but uh, you know, so it's funny saying my Bills, but that being said, what's the buzz around town right now? Because I know from the Buffalo end of things, they're seeing this as the biggest game of the regular season nationally, not just in those two markets.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, you look at the quarterback matchup, that's huge buzz. I mean, you, you've got two of the best quarterbacks, you know, in the game. And uh, I, I just marvel at Allen. I mean, that guy with that big, strong body he has. and I mean, rushing for over 700 yards and laying his body out there like he does and leaving the ground like he does. I mean, he he's a guy that if linemen like us would look at him and like, oh, Talk about a motivator! I mean, it's like, look what this guy's doing, man. We got to pick it up a notch. Let's get out. Af- let's get after it like he's getting after it. He's one of those guys that's a, you know a force multiplier. It seems like a little bit out there, and uh, and and Joe Burrow is just one of those. When when um, you know situational football, the critical moments of the game, that's when he gets more laser focused, and and he he just performs at such a high level. A couple of things on him that's real interesting in the fourth quarter when you know it's money time for quarterbacks. 71.1% completion percentage leads the league quarterback rating 117.1 leads the league 11 touchdown pass in the fourth quarter tied for second on third down second in the league and completion percentage 69.1 11 touchdowns on third down uh, third in, in, in the league quarterback rating of over 111 so you know in situational third down fourth quarter that's when he plays his best you know he's and so I think that matchup is going to be going to be huge. And I was doing a little prep and looking at the league stats, and um, there are two teams in the AFC that are in the top 10 in points scored and points allowed. And there are three teams in the NFC. The three teams in the NFC are the Philadelphia Eagles, no surprise, the Dallas Cowboys and the San Francisco 49ers. The two teams in the AFC, Cincinnati and Buffalo. And Buffalo's in the top five in both categories. Second in points scored, fifth in points allowed. The Bengals have been the top 10 in both. But it's like, hey, these two are the two, two, amongst the you know the best teams in the league, and here they are in the same conference playing for, you know, seeding in that particular conference. I mean, Monday Night Football, man, they couldn't be more excited. I know I'm excited to see the game. I, I just think it's going to be a hell of a football game to watch.
1: It will be. It, it truly will be. I was going to ask you what makes Joe Burrow so special besides his his physical nature, but that says it. He's clutch. Joe Burrow's clutch. So when the games get bigger, when it's playoff time, when it's the national championship in college, he shows up in the biggest moments. He's got that moxie about him. And it's it's a confidence, but it's not a confidence that comes without preparation and having done it before. And it amazed I I was laughing. The Bengals weren't riding in super hot. They're going into New Orleans, and he goes in in a Jamar Chase jersey. And all I could think was, and you know this from an offensive lineman standpoint, but it's like, what happens if I got to walk out of here when we lose? You know, he's going right. back to New Orleans. There's going to be so many Joe Burrow fans there. Am I going to go to my post game press conference in a Jamar <laughs> Chase jersey? Well, he wasn't worried about that. He just went out and showed up, and they come back and win. in 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 great fashion and so it's shaping up to be an incredible matchup the Bengals have uh the weapons they have at receiver allows him to really just take advantage of matchups to where he's never doing too much especially when he's got chase and higgins out on the outside tyler boyd's great in the slot um they're great i haven't looked into the injury situation what's the health status on the two dns for cincinnati
0: yeah, Sam Hubbard uh, has not played the last two games with a calf injury. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if he tries to go in this one. Knowing Sam, he's going to want to go. They're going to have to pull the reins on him, you know, uh, and protect him from himself. It's going to be interesting to see if they feel like, you know, physically and medically and everything, he'd be he'd be okay to go. Um, Hendrickson did play in the last game with a broken wrist. He's right right on the on the the round ball bone there on the outside of the wrist he fractured that and sucking it up in sub 20 degree weather, wind chill in the single digits. You have a fracture, man. It's, it's not pleasant, you know, and he sucked it up and and had some significant snaps. They lost Collins though for the season. LC is done for the year with an ACL MCL. He'll be operated on in a couple of weeks once the swelling goes down and everything. So, uh, Hakeem stepped up and played well in his, in his absence, but, they did get 15 games out of the starting offensive line. Didn't lose anybody, but this one, you know, is is not not just for this game. He's 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 done for the rest of the year, obviously. So that that one that one hurt a little bit. But one thing about Joe Burrow, I wanted to mention when you were talking about him. Two things. Joe, Joe Burrow is one of those guys. First thing, uh, one of the first to get there, one of the last to leave. Tremendous work ethic. So other guys are saying, "Am I doing enough?" Man, this star. Look at how look at what he's doing. Maybe I should do a little bit more. So there's, you know, he, he he has a little synergistic effect there. And then the other thing is he's so coachable. You know, it, 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 he has no none of the – I've arrived. I know what the hell's going on. He wants to be hard coached, you know. And so now the rest of the team, man, they're on Joe's ass. They're coaching him hard. Well, Go ahead and coach me then, you know. And that's a synergistic effect as well. So he, he has so many intangibles as well as his physical ability, I mean, he is – I mean, Eric, it's unbelievable. He puts the ball, you know, not not in a a window. He puts it in a, you know, the eye of the needle. I mean, it's unbelievable how accurate he is with the football. And, um, you know, I I marvel at watching Allen. I I marvel at watching Burrow. And and they they lift their football teams. There's no question.
1: Well, for those listening into this one that aren't necessarily a fan of the Bills or the Bengals but they're looking to get something out of this podcast – first to get to the building last to leave you show up and you lay if you're a leader out there you set the example by being there by being okay. present and working your tail off and we're talking about a potential mvp of the nfl begging to be coached looking for feedback constantly people that have that confidence and then the humility to say i can always get better those are the people that keep getting better and rise to the top of their profession no matter what they're in and so that's that's great stuff for Joe but that's something that's applicable to everybody out there
0: no question you know and you mentioned the confidence and Allen's the same way with these guys it's an earned confidence like you said it's not just like uh eh, yeah you know I, I don't really have to do anything they work their tails off man you know I mean it just it just doesn't I mean they, they've obviously been blessed with great talents and 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 great abilities I mean the good lord has been very kind to them but they aren't wasting it man I mean, they're 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 making sure that they maximize it, you know, and doing everything they possibly can to maximize it, and checking all the boxes and the protocols to maximize it. And I admire them for that.
1: Yeah, definitely. All right, I got a few recurrent questions for you, and I'll get you out of here, Dave. Okay. You mentioned you're a reader, or at least your mom forced you to be a reader.
0: <laughs> Do you have a favorite book? Why? I mean, I I don't I don't really have a favorite. I mean. I don't know. I guess. I guess the first book that I that I read that that I I wasn't sure I'd like, uh, but m- my mom, you know, Moby Dick. I mean, I just, you know, I w- I was like, ah, I don't know. But that, yeah. I mean, I could I could understand why she was like encouraging me to just the way, the way that that guy Herman Melville, the way he just described things. You know, it's like, man, it was it was it was such a the command of the English language and in, in the in the pictures that I got out of reading that I'm like, it, it made such a big impression on me at a young age, you know? So I guess, I guess that would be one of my favorites because it was a real eye opener for me at a, at a pretty young age.
1: Yeah, for sure. What's your
0: favorite restaurant in Cincinnati? I, I'd have to go with a, a Ruby, you know, restaurant. I mean, I, I like Ruby's. I like the precinct. Um, you know, I like, I like all of Jeff Ruby's restaurants. I'm a, uh, I don't miss many meals as you can tell. <laughs> and I mean, I, I, I will, I love a good steak, man. There's no, I'm a carnivore, no doubt about it. <laughs>
1: Yeah, Jeff. Jeff is a former podcast guest on here. Has become a friend of mine. We have a Jeff Ruby's in Louisville as well. I'm a JR Club member, so I'm a proud supporter of Jeff go. Ruby and the brand. So, uh, we uh we were going to go in Cincinnati this Sunday, but they're gonna they're shut down for New Year's Day. I was going to check out the new location. I haven't been to that one yet. Oh have yeah, you been, have yeah. you been to the new one yet?
0: I haven't been to the new one yet. No, I'm I'm anxious to get there. I'm gonna check it out.
1: Maybe I'll pop up this winter and treat you for it. Are you? you are you a gold star a gold star
0: or skyline oh skyline my daughter is vice president of marketing for skyline chili so it's been uh really good to her and uh yeah she's the first first female uh that rose to a level of an officer in the company i mean it start. she was she was a waitress at skyline when she was like 12 years old crazy and uh and now here she is uh doing what she's doing and uh, she, she she's involved in all of the uh all the marketing with the the sporting events, you know, the crosstown shootout, the crosstown showdown, and um, all the uh, when they when they bring in schools from other uh, other cities around the country to play the best teams. And Cincinnati Skyline sponsors that. I mean, sports have been a big part of her life, and she's kind of combined that with Skyline Chili. So I'd have to definitely go Skyline.
1: Yeah, that's really cool. All right, last one for me. This is what's next with Eric Wood. What's next for Dave Lapham besides a possible or hopeful for you another Bengal super bowl run what do you got coming down the line for you coming up
0: you know uh at, at, at my age uh my, my big my big goal my big ambition is to watch my grandkids develop i mean i there's nothing there's nothing better than you know when, when we we uh achieve certain levels of um whatever it is in sports as individuals that's all that's great but I'm telling you, man, when my kids did it, when I was watching my daughter play and win a state championship in volleyball at Ursline, and my son win a state championship in baseball at Moeller, I was like beside myself, you know. It's like, man, it's so much better than you doing it, you know, and <laughs> just living vicariously through the success of your children. And I'm anxious to watch my grandkids, if they so choose to get involved in sports, watch them do it and go through another cycle of that and another generation of that. That would be cool as hell to me
1: that would be yeah i hear having grandkids is the best cuz you can spoil them and then leave when you want to
0: absolutely i mean i just had them all over all four i've got four two boys two girls and they're all here for christmas and uh yeah we spoiled the heck out of them and i'm sure their parents had a had a heck of a time getting them to sleep that first night they were home.
1: (laughs) I guarantee it. Well, Dave, I've always been a huge fan of yours, uh, from afar getting to know you over the years, anytime our paths cross, that's an absolute joy for me. I look forward to seeing you every year at Jordan Cornett's golf outing and anywhere else I get to see you. So thank you so much for the time coming on here. I know you're extremely busy during this time of year. So it means a lot to me that you would take the time to do this.
0: Well, it was, it was my pleasure and my honor to do it. And, uh, Uh, getting to know you has been a a great experience. You are a class act. There's no question about it. Your parents must be so proud because, man, they raised you right. You're, You're a tremendous human being, and I appreciate the opportunity to visit.
1: Well, I appreciate that, Dave. That means a lot. Look forward to seeing you this week. Same here. A common theme of this podcast is that you do not get better in life without the right coaching. I'm here to tell you that PGA Golf Channel lead instructor Brian Jacobs can get your golf game to the next level. He can coach you either virtually or in person at his academy locations, or he can travel to wherever you are in the country and coach you. I have done both with Brian and have seen the benefit. Contact him at brianjacobsgolf.com
0: or Brian Golf on social media.